0: Well, good morning. Uh, <clears throat> Jason was right this morning. Uh, we are beginning a new series this time. If you were here last week, he said we were, but we're not uh, until this morning. The um, series is called Following Jesus. You can kind of see behind me, and you have to put it up. I have a little bit of a cough, so I'll be... <sighs> Thank you. Anyway, um, the series is called Following Jesus, and... Um, There's a lot of things that could come to mind when we talk about following Jesus and what direction we could really go with this series. Are we going to go into the beginning of the Gospels when Jesus calls out the fishermen, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Are we going to go into the direction of what Jesus calls of, of being in continuation of that call of being a disciple of His where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And maybe we could even go the direction, if you're familiar with the author David Platt, and he has a book out there called Follow Me, and and maybe that's what this series is going to be about, is one preacher ripping off another preacher's ideas. That's not what is going to happen. Um, It's a good book, though. You can read it later if you'd like. Um, What we're doing in this series is we are understanding How we and how the first believers, how those that were closest to Jesus, how do we fill Jesus' shoes? How do we pick up the mantle? How do we pick up the ministry and the mission and the message of Jesus Christ on the level to which Jesus Christ did it? That's following Jesus. Jesus. That's what the series, and the goal of this series is beginning, is hoping to unwrap. And if we take like a baseball analogy, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, and I know we've got some baseball guys and gals, softball gals in here. Um, I'd rather watch golf, to uh, be honest with you. But anyway, uh, so baseball, uh, yeah, you can pray for me later. Uh, baseball baseball, uh, there's this idea of the opener. You know, the guy, you've got your, your number one guy. The guy has got your, your, your fastest pitch or your best pitches, and he's got a whole list of things. So he's the guy that's going to come out in the first inning, you know, opening day. They usually try to throw that guy out there the first time because you want to start out with a win. And, and the hope is, the hope is, is that guy, your, 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 your pitcher, is going to go deep. And no one's going to get any hits off that individual and they're going to get deep into the game, maybe even finish a game. That'd be even awesome uh, or even better. But if we take that analogy, Jesus is our opener. God placed him into the game and he was pitching a perfect game. Perfect. Nothing wrong, nothing against the will of God, nothing out of God's word or out of God's will. He was pitching a perfect game. And yet for some reason, about the sixth inning, God took Jesus out of the game. And he put you and me in. And so for the sixth and the seventh and the eighth inning, you and I have got to maintain that level of the opener, Jesus Christ. Because we know if we get to the ninth inning, God, our coach, is going to send Jesus back in as the ultimate closer when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so we're in the sixth and seventh and eighth inning. That time, you know, you do the stretches and you go to the bathroom and you make the run to the concession stand one more time. We're there. And sometimes it may not seem exciting, but we're given the same idea that, okay, Jesus had a perfect game going and now we're stepping in. We've got to fill in. So how do we follow Jesus? How do we run, not ruin this perfect game going? How do we reveal His glory, and how do we step up to the plate in the way He did it so that people can see Jesus coming out of us? It is a big task to follow shoes of an individual that set a high standard. Uh, this last weekend, me and a couple guys from Harvest Hill went to the Stronger Men Conference, and it was excellent, and the first time I've ever gone, there was a guy there by the name of, <coughs> excuse me, Name of Jason uh, Gray, right? Gray? John John Gray. John Gray. Yeah, I was paying attention to his name. Um, Anyway, John Gray. And um, man, I I was telling Jason, I wish I could preach like him, but he was... Well, he was he was an African American preacher, and and I feel like if I preached like him, it would come across as racist. Um, So I'm not going to try that. Um, But he was I mean he was powerful. He was energetic. He was entertaining. He was funny, and yet when he preached the word, he like cut to you. Well, Saturday morning he gets up and preaches, and and immediately after him, we're supposed to have this little break for for about eight thousand four hundred men have this little break. Which is a fun task when you go to a men's conference and try and get into the men's bathroom. I can totally relate to women now, uh, bathrooms. But so before we break, John Gray gets done and and you know he's doing his thing off the stage. And the guy that's got to follow him is the announcer guy. So we just had the word of God like boom in your face, and you're like, oh man, God is good, and oh, so awesome. And then the announcer guy comes up and. I guess he felt like he had to keep the same emotion <laughs> and the same electricity going. <clears throat> so he started saying, hey, under your seats is a book and you should grab that book and it's going to tell you about next year, hallelujah. And, I mean, but he was trying to keep the same momentum, trying to fill these shoes as the preacher just left the stage and it really did not make sense. You know, y'all just go to the bathroom now, yeah. And, <laughs> it's really difficult to fill shoes of someone who has big Shoes to fill. But we find in Scripture that when the individual does not fill those shoes, bad things happen. When you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, Abram's called out by God, given a covenantal blessing. <coughs> Abram passes on that blessing to his son, Isaac, who passes on that blessing to his son, Jacob, who then passes on the blessing to the 12 sons who would become the nation of Israel. Between Genesis and Exodus, there's no passing of blessing. There's no passing of filling the shoes of leadership. Israel falls into slavery. Obviously, it was God's will that to happen. But God has to call out from Israel a man by the name of Moses. Moses is called to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. And if you read through uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, Moses is leading his people, but... Due to an unfortunate water incident, Moses is not allowed to go to the promised land. And God tells him that. And so God also tells Moses, you need to pass the baton of leadership to the man named Joshua. He is going to fill your shoes. And I can't imagine what Joshua was thinking. All this time, all he had to do was follow Moses. Moses goes up the mountain, I stay right here. Moses comes down the mountain, I go with Moses. Moses says, do that, I do that. And he was, he was faithful. But now Moses is getting ready to die. And God says, all right, Moses, you've got to tell Joshua he's going to take up your leadership. He's going to fill your shoes. And you've led this people through the wilderness for 40 years. He's going to lead them into the promised land to conquer it. Good luck. And you read the beginning, and you end of Deuteronomy, the beginning of Joshua, how God came to him and encouraged him and gave him the words of wisdom. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. Hold to this word. And so God prepared a leader. But if you go to the end of Joshua, Joshua begins to let Israel go into the land. We were here. We've conquered it. We haven't done exactly as God said, but we're here. You never see Joshua leading up another individual to fill his shoes. You never see him pouring into another individual that you're going to be the next leader. And what happens after Joshua? Anybody know your books? Judges, which is a roller coaster ride of spirituality, because there is no leader filling the shoes. You go on King David, this anointed king. His son Solomon takes the reign, but Solomon's not the same leader as his daddy. And by the end of Solomon's life, he begins to fall away from the Lord, begins serving uh, other gods, other false gods. He obviously has multiple women in his life, and and causes issues and when Solomon dies the nation of Israel splits over worship and what we see in scripture what God lays out is that when when there's an individual God rises up there has to be people willing to fill in the shoes and that is what you and I are as Christians God called Jesus and rose Jesus up to be our ultimate Savior, our Messiah, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And what happens when Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry? He passes the baton. He says, all right, your turn. This is our inning right here. We're in it right now. Jesus has prepared his disciples for three years. For that moment, he's not going to physically be with them anymore. And they're going to have to take on this ministry. They're going to have to follow him. They're going to have to continue to push on and continue to preach the message and be about the mission of God and the kingdom of God. And so now we come, if you have your Bibles with you, to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at three passages this morning. And please, again, forgive me for my my little cough. We're going to look at three different passages this morning, but we're really going to be focusing in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, if you want to put your finger there. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53, if you want to put your finger there. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are all commissions recorded that Jesus gives for His disciples, His people, those who would become known as Christians, on how they can follow in His footsteps. So let's begin in verse 18. In Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jump with me to Luke chapter 24. Beginning in verse 44. Then he said, this is Jesus speaking. Verse 44 of Luke 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's basically saying everything that we call the Old Testament right there. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus, is, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Finally, in the book of Acts of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 8. Again, this is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your word. And Lord, I am unworthy to be a messenger of your word, but only by your grace and your mercy upon me. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me the gift of faith and declared me righteous by your Son. And Father, I pray in this moment and this time, not only for myself, that the words coming out of my mouth will be pleasing to you, but I pray for everyone here this morning and everyone whoever hear this message, that their ears will be open to hear your words spoken to them, that our hearts will be softened, that we may not only hear your words, but allow it to penetrate us to the deepest parts of who we are. Father, you would transform us in this time to be more godly and more Christ-like. That we would leave this place being deeper connected to you than we were when we came. We would leave this place being more in awe of you. We would leave this place knowing what exactly you have called us to. But we do thank you for your salvation. We do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. And Father, I submit to you, that you just have your way with me, you have your way with us this morning, that you alone will be glorified, and Lord, I pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Make your way back to Matthew chapter 28, <clears throat> for the next six weeks, seven weeks counting today, we're going to be walking through these passages with this idea of following Jesus, and coming back to Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now when Jesus begins speaking, he is, he's preparing because he's getting ready to rise. Matthew's gospel does not speak of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel is primarily focused on the authority of Jesus Christ. God's authority resting on him. The people who heard Jesus speak were amazed at his authority. And here Jesus is coming to wrap up his ministry, to hand off the baton, to put his disciples and to put us into the game. He comes to remind them that all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and all authority on earth. Now, where did Jesus get this authority? So we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, He said that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus received this authority because He was the complete fulfillment of the Word and will of God. Everything prophesied what we call the Old Testament, everything that foreshadowed what we call the New Testament in Jesus Christ has come to fruition except... The day when he shall return and everyone will be judged in presence of the living God. Everything. And as Jesus is preparing his disciples that he's getting ready to do this incredible thing, which the Gospel of Luke records and the book of Acts records in chapter 1, where he just kind of does this strange Superman matrix thing up to the heavens. And, and, and they're just staring there like, oh, and worship and awe of him. Everything leading to this point is that the disciples can understand that He has authority. The Bible tells us in John chapter one, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that is speaking of Jesus Christ, that He is the Word. John verses one and two of chapter one speak that he was with God in the beginning, and He was God. His equality with God. God declared Jesus. In his equality, when he looked down and Jesus came out of the waters in the Jordan River, and God says, This, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God proclaimed and pronounced and declared Jesus Christ's authority of being equal with God, being of the same nature, and giving Him the authority to carry out His will. Jesus rose from the grave. Matthew doesn't spend a whole lot of time on that issue in in chapter 28. Just the fact that he brings it out, the fact that how the Jews try to squander it. And then he takes us almost 40 days later. Jesus has been on the earth for 40 days after his resurrection, appearing here and there, kind of creeping out his disciples here and there, showing up in a room when they locked the door and then disappearing again. I mean, man, he's a prankster at Jesus. (laughs) But as he says here in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I imagine all his disciples just shook their head. Maybe some of them, a little Pentecostal, said, amen, brother. Some of them probably Southern Baptists just said, yep. But there was no doubt as they looked at the resurrected Jesus that he had authority. There's no doubt in their mind. They saw him get beaten. They saw him get tortured. They saw him hang on a cross until he died. They saw him get placed in the tomb. Then they saw him walk out like it was nothing. Yeah, he's got authority. There's no arguing who he is and the authority he has. Matter of fact, Jesus prepared disciples for this, the crucifixion, which we looked at a couple weeks ago as we walk through the journey to the cross, and Jesus spoke of His authority even leading up to that. He says, no one takes from me, speaking of His life, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. As Jesus stands here in Matthew 28, speaking of His authority, Luke tells us in the same instance that Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and I imagine in opening that minds, they, they were taken back to his teachings of his authority, the teachings of his power. That's what authority means. I have the power. I have the governing rule over this. And Jesus says, I have authority in heaven and on earth, and it's been given to me. He is telling his disciples, look, you are looking at God in the flesh, in the flesh before you. Because only God has the authority in heaven and only God has the authority on earth. The psalmist tells us in chapter 24, verse 1, that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. In Psalm 89, verse 11, it says, the heavens are yours, Lord. The earth is also yours, the world and all that is in it. You founded them. Psalm 50, verse 12 says, For the world and its fullness are mine. The Lord speaks in Scripture, says, The cattle on the thousand hills, they belong to me. And now Jesus is saying, all that belongs to God. I have proven my authority. I have proven my power. I have proven my love and God's love for you. And now I stand before you with all authority. When it comes to following Jesus, we have to recognize Who has the authority? Who has the power? Who has the words of wisdom to guide us and to lead us? Jesus says all authority on earth has been given to me. If you're like me, sometimes I think I've got the authority. Sometimes I think all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Pastor Mike. But Jesus looks at these men who loved him and walked with him and said, Look, authority has been given to me, not to you, not to the government over you, not to the taxes and the bills that you have to pay, not to your job, not even to your family, not to your dreams, not to your ambitions, not to your diplomas on the wall, not to your resume. Not to what even you think you can do. The authority has been given to me. And so in following Jesus, it has to begin that we recognize authority. And I'll tell you the first time I recognized authority came through my mama's eyes. Anybody been there? Anybody thought you were the coolest, smartest, toughest teenager in the world? We got teenagers here, so they probably won't confess that. You mouthed off to mama. Now, my mama, she was a choir director, she played the organ and the piano. She dressed in her nice dresses on Sunday morning. She was the church lady of them all. But when you mouthed off to mama, all she did is give you a look. Y'all know that look? And that look tells you you better zip it or you're about to meet your maker. My mom would always remind me that she brought me into this world and she would be more than willing to take me out if I kept up a certain way of action. And I recognized authority in my mom. I also recognized authority in my dad. My dad was never one. We, in my, my home, we had a paddle on the wall. And I know they have hotline numbers for that now. <laughs> but we had a paddle on the wall. And, and that wall, all my mom and dad ever have to do is say, do I need to get the paddle? And that ended it. I, I got sent to the principal office once in my elementary career. And at that point in time, the principal sat behind his desk. And can you guess what he had on his wall? Paddle. And he looked at me and says, Michael, because that's what they called me when I was a little kid. Michael, do I need to use that? And I said, no. He says, then don't come back here again. And I didn't. My dad had authority. He just had a tone of voice, but he also had authority when I would go golfing with him, the authority of self-control. I'd go golf with my dad when I was a teenager, and I'd hit a ball and then go about every single direction that the wind wouldn't be blowing. And I would slam that club in the ground, and I would growl something, trying to control my tongue. And as I golf with my dad, he would just say, you need to calm down. You just need to relax. And when he would hit a bad shot, he wouldn't slam things, throw things, kick things. He would just say his name, Richard. He had the authority of self-control and taught me that authority that there is authority in self-control. Jesus is saying, "I have authority in heaven and on earth and it's been given to me." I mean, I have complete authority over all things, over all people, over all time. It's been given to me, and I have declared that. And his disciples looked at him, and they're like, yes, you do. No doubt in my mind. And following Jesus, that's where we have to be. <coughs> he is the resurrected Lord. He came out of that tomb so that I might be saved. And there's no doubt he has authority. There's no doubt. The Bible says this about Jesus, that he is the Im- image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Those people in power, all created by God. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and on him all things hold together. That's Jesus as God. That's Jesus as long-awaited Messiah. speaks of He created them from the very beginning. He's been there as the authoritative God of the universe. That's our Savior. That's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father right now in this moment. If I'm a child of God, you know what he's doing? Hey, Daddy, that one's ours too. He's speaking in authority to his Father, our God, on behalf of us. And in Revelation, it comes to this this culmination that Jesus comes and declares as he gets ready to come, I am the Alpha, and the omega, the beginning and the end. His eternal nature, his eternal authority. So even though he's put us in this game at this moment of time, he still has to be the authority. I don't know about you, but have you ever been around a child who doesn't respect authority? Isn't that a blessing? (laughs) You tell them something to do and what do they do? exact opposite. You even threaten that they're going to meet Jesus today. What do they do? What are you going to do? Tell them to sit down, they run. You tell them to sit, they kick. Tell them to keep their hands themselves, they hit somebody right next to them. You tell them not to fart while we're in class, and what do they do? Don't burp, what do they do? The exact opposite. You ever been around a kid who does not respect authority? Isn't that the most frustrating thing in the world, children of God, kids of God? When we don't respect the authority of our Father, we're just so frustrated with kids running around and not listening, they don't respect me. They don't listen to me. I wonder if God looks down from the heaven, our Heavenly Father says, man, they don't respect me. They don't listen to me at all. They just do whatever they want. Whatever they feel like doing. It's frustrating for us, and I wonder if God looks at us and says, wow, why are my children so disrespectful? In following Jesus, we have to recognize He is authority. Over all of our life. Every ounce of it. He's authority over my marriage. He's authority and over how I parent my kids. Obviously, he's the authority of how I do my job, but he's authority how you do your job too. He's authority of how you run your house. He's authority of how you handle your money, what you do with your time. When he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that is what he is saying. Everything that could ever encompass our life, he is the authority over it. That's following Jesus. In the book of Exodus, God brings Israel out of slavery, just like Jesus brought us out of slavery. He brings them to Mount Sinai. He wants them to come and worship him. And as they come to the Mount Sinai, this incredible image of the power and the authority of God descends upon the mountain. It's like this incredible fireworks volcano show. And God's just, at this moment, I just read, and I think God's just showing off. Like, hey, look what I can do. And look who is for you, not against you. Well, as they come to this mountain, and Moses is leading them at this moment, they say, whoa, Moses, why don't you go see what he wants to say? We'll stay here, and you go up the mountain, and then you come and tell us what God wants us to say. And the Bible tells us in that moment, in Exodus chapter 20, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us. And we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They understood the power and the presence they were in at that moment. And Moses said to people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of Him may be before you that you may not sin. The beginning, do not fear. God said, you don't need to be far off. Remember, this is the God who just brought you out of Egypt. This is the God who just parted the Red Sea. This is the God who's given you manna from heaven and water from a rock. This is the God who is for you. You don't have to be far off and scared of Him, but at the same time, you do need to have a fear for God. You need to have a reverence of who He is, that He is the ultimate authority and power in this place. And you are completely reliant upon Him. So don't stand off, but at the same time, don't act like you belong here. Because He is God. He is Lord. He is the authority in this place. As we come under the banner and the righteousness and the blood of Jesus Christ, we don't have to fear God or run from God because we know that God is a God of love. At the same time, He's a God that calls us to have a reverence and an awe for the times when we gather in His name to recognize His authority and power, not just in this place, but in every aspect of our life. And so the question this morning, who or what has the authority in your life? Who or what has the authority in your life? What are the things you're giving authority to? What are the things you're allowing to rule and govern your family, to rule and govern your marriage? What are the things your kids are looking at you and seeing, okay, that's what mommy and daddy are serving? What are the things that we're allowing to to rule and govern our life? What are the things we are handing over God's power to? What are we surrendering to? Because ultimately what we give the authority to in our lives is going to impact our prayer with God, our time of hearing Him and talking with Him. It's going to impact our worship of God. It doesn't matter if Jackson and the whole worship team are up here and, man, they're moving and shaking and grooving and pyrotechnics are going off. Man, I already experienced that. That doesn't do anything. If the people of God are not living under the authority of God, why should, when we strike up a song for 10, 15 minutes, why should that change anything? See, my authority and how I allow God to govern my life outside of here is what impacts my worship in here. It impacts my devotion to Him. It impacts the way I govern my family because God is governing me. I can govern my family according to the Word of God. I can follow Jesus and how I treat my family, how I do my job, how I do my hobbies, how I live my life, how I handle my money. Ooh, let's not talk about money, Pastor. You know, Jesus talks about money more than hell. Do you know that? Because he knows that we are tempted to serve the almighty dollar or the coin or the credit card more than we'll be tempted to serve God. We will give more authority to a piece of paper than to the God of the heavens. And if you don't believe me, all around this room, there's little pieces of string, at least there were. Now, when you got in this room, I hid, by the way, because I, I didn't want to lie. But I told Jackson, the worst team, just say, you don't know what's going on. I told Jason, just act like it doesn't happen. You know, don't even acknowledge it during your announcements, which I appreciate you doing that. But someone asked you, you said, I don't know. And I didn't tell them what to know. But here's the thing. When you saw that rope and I had some questions, you know what people asked me? Something happened. Some of them looked up. Some of them looked on the ground because there have been known to be little infestations of ants. Some of y'all almost avoided the entire row. I hope I didn't make anybody mad and I took your row. (laughs) I tried to leave the back row because that's sacred seating in Baptist churches. But you saw a row and whether or not to where you sat, your mind automatically jumped to a conclusion, I should not sit here. Maybe it's reserved for someone. Maybe someone's going to show up. Maybe the pastor's got, like, a special guest, and, and he's going to show up, and they're going to sit here. Maybe, and so, like, Bridget's like, I'm going to sit wherever that special guest is sitting. So she's over there. And, <laughs> <laughs> now, Bridget was kind of offended because it was right by her spot. So, I mean, it's it getting into dangerous territory. But a lot of us, we saw that and we, how many of y'all inspected? Looked around, duh, maybe, did anybody go and touch the seat, see if anything was happening? <laughs> Look under it, maybe kick a leg, maybe the seat's broken. But what did we all do? We didn't sit there, did we? That's a fancy piece of yarn I found in about five minutes. It's taped to a chair. And yet we willingly gave it authority over our lives. We have the voice of God, the voice of God speaking his authority over our lives. And we give more respect to a piece of yarn than that. And I'm just as guilty. Who's going to be authority over your life? This is what following Jesus is, is that I'm going to look into the word of God and whatever God says, I'm going to follow it. Because I see in Scripture, and God lets me know that He doesn't call people who did it right all the time. He doesn't call people that are always faithful. But I see in Scripture when those people get out from underneath the authority of God, when they no longer allow the authority of God to lead them and govern them, that's when things get out of whack. That's when things get messed up. And that's when people begin to misplace authority. A lot of times we try to solve it ourselves. We try to fix it. But God gives us everything in his word so that we can live underneath his authority and we can follow Jesus exactly the way he calls us to. We can fill his shoes, not as the savior of the world, but as the representation of the love of God and the grace of God and salvation. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me And that's where we need to be. You're God, I'm not. You're God and I'm not. The Bible gives us several promises. One of them comes from Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I can only be free when I submit to the proper thing. If I submit to sin, then I cannot live in the freedom God wants to give me. The Bible tells us that God has plans and welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And you will call upon my name and pray and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes. It begins first by submitting to God. Humbling ourselves and seeking God. God, you are the authority, you're the provider, you're the giver, you're 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 all I need. And if I just put you first, if I seek your kingdom first and your righteousness, what's the promise? All of these things taken care of. All of these things, if I just place you first, the Bible tells us that this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's following in the footsteps of Jesus. It begins by saying, all right, Jesus. All right, God. You have full authority over my life. Full authority. My life is going to be aligned to you. The question is, who is the authority in your life? Who's ruling it? Who's governing it? Who who or what are you adjusting your time to, to serve? Turning back to Joshua. Joshua is with the children of Israel. He's getting ready to send them out. All right, guys, we made it. God gave us the victory. We're here. Now go out and take the land that God has promised all the way back to our ancestor Abram. It's ours, but before he lets them go, this is what he commands them. Now fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods or your fathers, who served in the region beyond the river, speaking of Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says, Look, you've got an option. You can serve the gods of this world or you can serve the one true God. And that's where we're all this morning. I have to make the choice. I'm either going to serve the gods of this world or I'm going to serve the one true God. And Joshua looks across this nation of people that he's led into battle and they've had victories and they've had a couple losses. And he makes this declaration which is where we stand today as children of God. We have to make this our personal declaration. I can't make it for you or your family. Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. He will be the authority in our lives." He will be the authority in our marriages. He will be the authority in our family, at our job. Whatever we find ourselves doing, He will be the authority and we will serve Him only. I don't know where you are this morning, but I know this. You're either serving the gods of this world, which means you're still in your sin, or you're serving the one true God. The Bible says that sin... It's not just a problem, it is a separation from God that leads to death. That is eternal death. Eternal separation. But because God is good, and God is loving, and God is for you, not against you. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty and the wrath of your and my sin and to call us into a relationship. See, God created you for a relationship, but your sin isn't just disrupting your life, it is going to destroy your life. And it is separating you from the God who loves you. Matter of fact, you you can believe all you want about God. You can understand and have all this knowledge about God, but if you haven't accepted God's love for you through Jesus Christ, you're still in your sin. And that's what Jesus did. He came to pay the price for your and my sin so that everyone who believes in Him might be forgiven and be given eternal life. When we do that, the Bible says, I believe in my heart. Doesn't mean I have to understand it all, but I believe in my heart that God loves me that much. And He is the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And I believe He is for me that much. I believe it in my heart. And the Bible says, I confess it with my mouth. I have to let it be known. And then I will be saved from my sin and become a child of God. The Bible says, when I believe it in my heart and confess my mouth that Jesus is not only Savior, He's Lord. He's Master. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. I will be saved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you been a frustrating, rebellious child of God and need to return and repent from that? Maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to accept the gift of God. And you're not living under the authority of His Word. Maybe that needs to change today. We're going to have time of invitation message Jackson to come on up. If God has spoken to your heart as He's spoken to me this week and yesterday and last night and this morning. <coughs> it's time to make a stance. I'm not always going to do it right, Jamie. I'm going to mess up. But as for me and the Hurchins house, we're going to serve the Lord. If you need Jesus, I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for loving us. Thank you for the authority you have spoken into our life, the authority that gives us life and leads us to life, the authority that saves us. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness despite our, our lack of faith and our unfaithfulness at times. But Lord, let us be a people. Let us be a children that others look to us and know that we're following you because you are the authority in our life. Let people look to Harvest Hill and see the body of Christ because this church is living under the authority of God's word. Father, let you alone be proclaimed. And let our confession of faith this morning as your children that we will serve you and you alone. Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning that are doing all the right stuff. They know all the right things to say. They, they, they may have even done all the right steps down the aisle and said all the right words in prayer, but Your Spirit has come upon them in such conviction, giving them a revelation that they are not saved or they are not living their life under Your authority. They're just, they're just playing the game I thank you by your grace and your love. You've revealed that to them. But Lord, I pray in this moment, you give them the courage to not stand and stay where they are, but to move out and let it be a public confession of faith that they want to be forgiven and they want Jesus in their life. Father, let your authority come down upon this place and this time of response and invitation as you did at Mount Sinai. As you did in the Gospel of Matthew when you spoke your words of truth and people were in awe of your authority. Let us be in awe of your authority in this moment, in this place. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for using a sinner like me for your glory and your kingdom coming. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Savior, and the victor and conqueror. Amen.